We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where, well, I have to say, Alton must have slipped into some weird time stream or fallen into some, you know, interplanet dimensional vortex and has disappeared. I will let Alton out of the trunk of my car when this podcast is over. No worries. Oh, is that where you <laughs> Okay. Well, anyways, folks, uh, with that said, uh, Matt, Matthew, has returned to the show to uh, help us out this evening because, well, apparently Alton's in his trunk. Um, <laughs> Hello, everyone. The part of Alton tonight will be played by Matai-san. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've got some... We have a great topic to talk about before we get to the news. You know, some of you may disagree with us with our topics, and, and some of you may agree. Uh, we, we're we're going to try something really new this year where we're going to bring up some topics that may ruffle some feathers. Now, it's not because, hey, we're jerks, but that creates conversation. That creates you guys responding to us, and that's what we kind of want to do. We're not going to do it because we're jerks and we want to – piss you off or anything like that we want to do it to stimulate conversation because yes. ultimately that's the point of this show that's the point of having a conversation is to bring differing opinions together and you know talk about that you know and there may be things that the one of the three of us bring up that we may not agree on um but when we leave we'll at least respect each other and we'll be good so with that let's jump into the some of our new stuff that we have going on tonight as part of our new format. Absolutely. Uh, in video game news, because that is definitely one of my favorite topics, E3 for 2022 has been completely canceled. Now, previously, they had announced that there would be no physical getting together for E3, but there was the thought that they might do a digital E3 as they did last year in 2021. However, they have come out and said that all E3 events are canceled for this year. I am the heartbreak, but I also have Tokyo Game Show TGS to look forward to. So I guess there's that. PlayStation has come out swinging once again. This has been an incredibly strong generation for them, and it's they're only a, a year and change into this generation. But they have announced that they will also have a Game Pass-like service. For those who don't know, Xbox has a Game Pass service wherein they have a selection of games that you can download and or stream, and often they have day one titles, major AAA titles that come out and as soon as they're released, they're on this service. PlayStation had some like similar service stuff. They had PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now, uh, but nothing that was like day one fruitful. Now PlayStation is coming out with a Game Pass-like service. It is still PlayStation Plus, but they have it in three tiers, Essential, Extra, and Premium. And they will contain, uh, going forward, some day one titles. And this is actually pretty exciting. Xbox, not to be outdone, has come swinging back, announcing that their Game Pass will now include a family plan. Now, there are still details rolling out about this. We're not sure when this is going to take place, but the family plan so far will include the ability to create sub-accounts. As you pay for a higher tier, you can have up to five players on the same subscription, and it will contain all the really strong titles that Game Pass has been touting since it came out. Uh, Game Pass, I'm not an Xbox fan myself, but Game Pass has been one of the strong arguments for why Xbox is a pretty great platform. And then finally, initial reviews for Morbius have been coming out. I don't know about you guys. I saw the first trailer for Morbius like 18 months ago, right? Like it's it, it, it's been coming to theaters for like the last two years. And because of COVID, it kept getting pushed back. I was really excited to see this no. one. I'm still excited to see this one. I'm going to say real quickly, the only other trailer or movie that seems to have been coming out for longer than Morbius is Maverick. Right. Maverick. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, I don't yeah. know. Ghostbusters Afterlife really dragged, too. Not as bad. I mean. But you're they're, right. They're releasing the trailer again for this Top Gun thing. And instead of having a date, it says coming soon. Like, why right. are we calling it? I don't know. Anyways, Tom Cruise is running yeah. to catch the future. Yes. Anyway, so initial reviews have come out for Morbius and... It's really middle of the road. Uh, GameSpot gave it a 5 out of 10. IGN gave it a 4.8. Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 16% for the tomato meter with a 65 for audience review. Now, I'm still the kind of person who will go to a movie theater, sit down and watch it for myself. And I intend to do that. But I have to say... The consensus so far is it's mediocre. I'm hoping I enjoy it more than they did. 
Well, and so basically what you're saying is that Morbius, the Morbius review is a handful of bagwang. Uh, I thought you were gonna make some joke about it sucking, but you know I mean, it could suck. But you know it could also be full of bat poop. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> but hey, we at least know that Batman go- is doing well. Yes, it yes, is. Yes, it is. And in your latest Brandon Sanderson news, because it's all Branderson all day, all the time. Brando Sando. That's right. The uh, number one by Brandon. That's okay. The number one Kickstarter of all time ended today. The time we're recording this is uh, March 31st. Uh, and the final numbers are in. Over 185,000 backers uh, oh backed God. his four secret novels, his pandemic writing spree, uh, with a combined total of 41 million seven hundred fifty-four thousand and fifty-three dollars 41 so, and three quarters. I wanted 41 him to hit, and three quarters. I wanted him to hit 42 because that's the answer. That would be the answer. So uh, Krebs, write him a check for $250,000 so we can get there. Just, to, you know what? We'll take it right out of the uh, podcast accounts. There you go. So everybody get on Patreon as soon as we set up a Patreon and uh, we're, we're, we're looking for $250,000 to help Brando Sando. But anyway, back to the Kickstarter. Uh, so not only is this so successful and has completely blown away uh, Mr. Sanderson's expectations of this, he decided to give back to the community as well. And he got his crew together and they decided to back every single publishing Kickstarter that was out there uh, at the time. So he ended up backing over 240 Kickstarters and there was this great video on YouTube, you can find it on his channel, uh, of his team going through and selecting all these things. Uh, but he wanted to, he, he's serious about this. He's talked about in his interviews that he's doing this to find alternate publishing routes so that authors aren't beholden to publishers or to resellers. You can get your book out directly to the public. And he's putting his, literally putting his money where his mouth is and helping out other fellow authors. Uh, so that was really great. Take a look at some of the books uh, that he backed. Uh, check out, check out uh, Dragonsteel Entertainment's profile on Kickstarter. You can see all the books that uh, he backed. There's like a story uh, for kids that have cancer. There's a story about kids that need to be potty trained or need to get dressed in the morning. And there's some fantastic fantasy books. There's some, he backed somebody at the level that they're going to write a poem about him. It's, it's really kind of great. And there was another one of his special self-promoting videos out there that was kind of kind of humorous as a, as a bookend to the first one where he says, I've got all these secrets. Uh, no more secrets now, he says, he's just going to tell us. So as a thank you, because again, for all of the success he had with this Kickstarter, he has decided to release the prologue to Stormlight Volume 5. So it's a hidden link. You have to watch the video to get the link. Uh, and it's uh, a YouTube video of him reading the prologue. It's about an hour long. So if you're a big Brando Sando fan, go check it out. You know, and, and Brandon is an amazing guy. Um, very genuine person. Um, if you have not met him at any of these conventions and taken time to talk to him, uh, do so. I mean, even if it's just for a few minutes, and he is willing to do that. He's willing to sit there and talk to his fans and um, which I just think is amazing. Uh, there, there are some people out there that they get full of themselves and they, they won't do that. And he still is humble enough that he will talk to his friends. Uh, he will talk to people about writing. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to see him do things. And, and I wish him all the success with this. I was excited to see this. Uh, when I saw a $1 million um, goal, I'm like, wow, that's, that's really, that's high. Uh, but I hope he can hit it. And then it just came rolling in. It's like, wow. But it's because, and it's not because of anything other than the fact that everyone knows they're going to get a good quality book from him. And these are going to be amazing stories. And that's why people are willing to throw this type of money out there. So, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I had this great experience with Brandon at uh, FanX. 
I was happened to be near the booth where he was signing, and there's this line that stretched up and down the aisles. And somebody had interrupted him in the middle of it. One of his, uh, one of the other people there, the volunteers at Fanix, because they had to take him someplace else to show him something or to ask him a question about something. And on his way back, uh, he walks by and I go, "Oh, you're Brandon Sanderson," just like a total fanboy, right? Um, and he stopped and said, "Yes, I am." Do you want me to sign something for you? And here I am with my mouth on the ground, just kind of, you know, jaw dropped. Uh, the, 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 and uh, I go, no, that's okay. Okay, then, well, I'm over at my booth if you need anything. But he was just, he was in the middle of all this stuff. And he took time for a nameless fan to say, hey, I'm here right now. Did you want something signed? And I'm like, next time I'm bringing all of my Mistborn books and <laughs> I'm gonna, just in case I run into him again. Uh, yeah, he's always been uh, just quite the gentleman. Yeah, and that, that's how he is. And it's, it's amazing. So, all right, uh, that's our news folks. So with that, we're gonna jump into the topic of the evening and I think I'm going to let Josh start with this one. Take take the lead. Josh, who's this Josh? Krebs. Krebs, that's right. Man, this right. is alter ego. Time for Krebs. And I don't have Alton here. I have your I have Matthew here and he's screwing everything up. <laughs> so every last... time every time Matthew slash Matai screws something up, Alton gets another bruise. <laughs> no, and, and the worst the part about this, I just remembered we're putting this show up this show out and we this should have been an april fool show dang it oh this is the april fool's episode what well were we, what were we thinking we screwed up anyways screwed jump up. into the topic in that case my name is revan you can be matai <laughs> and, and i'm heather in. there you and go heather i'm not heather. heather hashtag i'm a heather all right so uh, last week, Alton dropped some news. It was about how Hasbro had acquired Avalon Hill. Nope, nope. Oh, oh, what, what? Nope. No, so Avalon Hill, uh-huh. several years ago, was acquired by Wizards of the Coast. Um, okay, so Wizards, Wizards of the Coast acquired Avalon Hill. By Hasbro. Yeah. Right, right. So Wizards of the Coast. Oh, I see. So Hasbro's at the top. Yeah. Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro. Yes. And then Wizards of the Coast, Watsi buys Avalon Hill. They, yeah, they had bought Avalon Hill uh, a few years back. That makes sense. Yes. Um, for those who may not have caught the news previously, like, and I'm talking like in the last two years, um, Hasbro has been doing this thing where they will do in-house Kickstarter type things. They have this thing called Hasbro Pulse yeah. and they will make you know, certain collectibles via Hasbro Pulse, you you buy into it like you would a Kickstarter, and then when it's produced, it ships and yada yada. Uh, I got into that myself because they were offering Hero Quest. Hero Quest uh, is a reprint of a 1980s game that was hugely popular, and they were doing this Kickstarter esque thing, and so I got into that, and that's when I discovered, that's when I found out via Alton that Hasbro will do that, and then not produce any copies for brick and mortar stores. Now I lay, I lay that as like the foundation because Watsi acquires Avalon Hill and Avalon Hill, the makers of betrayal at house on the Hill amongst other games, they have a new expansion coming out for betrayal. And uh, the announcement is that they will not be shipping these to brick and mortar stores that instead this will be direct to consumer. All Avalon Hill. Not all of yeah, all of Avalon Hill. This is on the heels of them announcing that they have like this new expansion come, but you're right. It's all of their product line. They are no longer going to ship out to brick and mortar stores. So that has become kind of a very interesting topic. As you guys know, Alton is a game store purveyor himself. Uh he's extremely good at it. And we as gamers uh, throughout our entire lives, we have appreciated various game stores for what they give to us as gamers. But now we have a situation where you have some very important companies, some very important products that are not going to come to brick and mortar anymore. And it begs the question, how is that going to shape the the horizon of game sales and what's the impact on game store owners? What are we seeing? What does the future look like for gamers 
when it comes to buying new material. So let's start, let's start simply. First of all, uh, what's your initial reaction to this announcement that Avalon Hill is no longer shipping to brick and mortar that's going to be direct to consumer via online? Matthias-san, uh, you, what's your first reaction to this? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned uh, because I actually like going to brick and mortar stores and being able to browse the games. And despite the uh, the 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 common oh what's the word I'm looking for the common wisdom I do judge a game by its cover you know <laughs> the art that's on it and, and and there's something about being able to pick it up read the thing summary on the back and and a lot of the game stores like Mythos you can actually go sit down and pull it off the shelf and play it they have opened copies there that you can go and and try things out this is the great shortfall of any online merchant is you can't physically touch it try it test it out ahead of time uh and that's when the brick and mortar will always have superior to the uh, online experience excellent excellent response daniel what's your first reaction to this uh what was your first reaction to this information when we found out about this last week well um so I'll kind of get delivered the news last week and I've had the week to kind of digest it and go through it. Um, I have some concerns, you know, because, you know, and we've kind of chatted about this offline, but the, the concern is, is this is a test. This is a test to see if wizards can not, can skip the brick and mortar stores with Magic the Gathering with Dungeons and Dragons and their other game systems that they have and that they can bypass the middleman and go direct to the consumer. Now, is it a good, you know, anytime you can cut out the middleman, that's a good business model. You, you know, there's more money in your pockets and, and, you know, there's less distribution issues, stuff like that, obviously, but that doesn't work for the gaming industry, in my opinion, where most of us learn about new games is in a game store you know we're we're browsing the games I, I can't tell you the number of times i've been at mythos and i'm just kind of looking and you know andrew walks up i'm gonna throw andrew's name out there uh, andrew walks up and he's like have you tried this game what about this game and he tells me about it and not only that sometimes they have the game where you can go over and sit down and play it mm -hmm. and you can try it before you actually spend drop 50, 60, $100 or more on a game. Some of these games are pricey and you don't want to blow a hundred bucks on a game that you're going to end up hating. You know, and that is a possibility. It's a huge risk nowadays. Um, you know, I, I have a game that's sitting on my shelf that I know I spent more than that. And it looks beautiful, but I don't know if it really plays well because it was a Kickstarter. So I do have that concern that with by pulling that, you know, with Avalon Hill, things are going to go really well because people are going to want Betrayal. It's a fantastic game. I love it. But then they're going to say, hey, this is working really well. Let's try it with this. Let's try it with D&D. Let's try it with Magic because they can do it because people are still going to buy that product. You know, that's a, that's a real good point. I think that they may be shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. Avalon Hill Games, some of the stuff in their portfolio are some of the more, mm, they're, they, they appeal, they're very niche games, and mm -hmm. they're also large, very high quality, and therefore expensive. So if I go to a brick and mortar store and I see this, that quality is a selling point to me. It looks interesting, it looks compelling, and I'm more likely to buy an expensive game at a store, whereas if I go online and I see that price, I'm like, no. It's just, it, there's not enough in the online experience to convince me to shell out that much money for a game I'm not familiar with. If I already knew what it was, if my friend had introduced me to it, sure. I'll go ahead, pay that money, slap $99 down, get it, because I've played it and I know I liked it, but again, You've had that experience IRL. And 
if it's online, you've got reviews, you've got a, a silly algorithm that usually delivers you the, to, to the wrong recommendation anyway. And it's just not, I think it loses some credibility. So for the expensive games and the complex games, I'm talking like Axis and Allies, Fortress America type of stuff. Those are the things that you're going to sell more. You're going to sell more of them at a brick and mortar than you will with online. So allow me to play devil's advocate here, because I think we're, in truth, we are of a similar mind on this. But let me play devil's advocate here for a second. Uh, you talked about being able to judge the game by its cover. There are tons of high quality images out on the internet that you can see. They do a great job of advertising. If you want to know what the kind of, what kind of game it is, uh, one of my favorite things to do when I bought Gloomhaven, not a, an Avalon, an Avalon Hill game, by the way, it's Cephala Fair, but, um, when I bought Gloomhaven, that's a complicated game. So I went online and wouldn't you know it on YouTube, there are, myriad channels that will show you how to play a game. One of my favorite channels uh, is Watch It Played. Uh, Watch It Played does not endorse this show. Uh, is Watch It Played, and they do a phenomenal job. In fact, actually, they do a, they do probably the best job on the internet of showing how to play games. So now you have high-quality images. There's Judge the Book by, by its cover. Then you've also got these videos that will show you the contents of the game, how to play the game. They will take you through the first scenario in many cases. How is this not enough uh, to replace the brick and mortar experience. In fact, isn't it more convenient because it's online? I think that that is compensation. It definitely feels like they're compensating for the inherent advantage of a brick and mortar store. You make good points, but those are all things they're trying to do to make up for the fact that they don't have a tangible product that you can look at. You can't actually sit down. The only thing they can do is have you experience it through proxy. You get to watch somebody else do it. You get to watch some pictures of it, but you can't hold it in your hand. You can't feel the weight of it. And you certainly uh, can't open it up yourself and get that experience, in a, in that unboxing experience. Why do you think there are so many unboxing videos out there? It's that Christmas morning type uh, enjoyment that you get out of opening it, seeing it pristine in the shrink wrap, pulling it out piece by piece and saying, all right, what are these tokens for? What are these figures for? What does the game board look like? Until you finally read the instructions and go, oh, here's where all they fit together. But your mind is now firing off with imagination and all of these things there. So your points are well taken. And I certainly have used all of those things you mentioned as factors in making a purchasing decision. Uh, but again, it's compensating for the lack of things you would be able to experience yourself in a brick and mortar store. So uh, as a, we've been talking, I've uh, been looking up some more information. So it appears that Avalon Hill was under Wizards of the Coast, but in September of 2020, it was announced that they was moving from Wizards to underneath Hasbro. So Hasbro. Okay. So this is kind of making a little bit more sense here. Um, maybe Wizards with D&D &D and Magic will stay separate for now. Who knows? But um, Hasbro has always been the type of organization that tries to run things mean and lean. Um, they try to slim down things as much as possible. I mean, if you've looked at the, uh, the recent Transformer lines, I mean, Transformers are great, but the, the Transformers coming from Hasbro, in my opinion, are a very... Um, low quality yeah they're, they're made to look more like sort of like the modern take the, the modern aesthetic for the cartoon as opposed to looking like legit vehicles that could turn into legit robots yeah i mean and i do have some that are a little bit better and i paid a, a pricier price point for those but still if you order overseas you get a much better quality uh transformer uh not only is it higher end plastics but there's sometimes they're made from metal um they they you know, you don't have to worry about them breaking. I mean, mm -hmm. I have this beautiful uh, Rodimus Prime in, in my display case that I bought from Hasbro. And, you know, when you close the trailer, the latching system doesn't hold. So I actually have clear tape on there to keep mm. it shut because it doesn't hold. Um, and you can read the boards and a lot of people are complaining about some of the, the tabbing systems and stuff like that they have. Um, Meanwhile, Ian Johnston is buying gorgeous replicas well, on I Wish mean, of All Places. Yeah, I mean, when we were uh, 
talking to him, I pulled out my one Optimus Prime and most of that's metal. Yeah. It's beautiful. And this, the sad thing is I paid less for that one than my Rodimus Prime that I'm having. <laughs> um, so it's not too surprising. Um, you know, at the same time, Hasbro does make a lot of money. They own games such as Risk. They have Risk Star Wars and Risk Europe and all the other versions of Risk out there. Um, and those games you can run mean and lean. You don't need a lot, really. You get a fancy board and little tokens. You're done. But when you have games like Betrayal, um, it's you need the aesthetic. And you need that excitement from for new for new blood to get into that game. You need the game store, in my opinion. That's where we get new blood in. It's the same with a bookstore. You know, if you're if you're on the internet, Amazon, some newbie that's never, you know, that's 16, 17, you're not gonna you're and perusing, you're not gonna go after those things. The only thing you're gonna look for is what someone else told you. So I think they're they're losing a lot of opportunities there by by going this route. Um, because like I said, you know, when we go into the game store, it we'll see what other people are playing. Or there is someone behind the counter or walking around the store that will come up and talk to us and tell us about some they'll ask us some questions to get what you know to find out what we like. And then they'll direct us to games that they think would fit that interest. We don't get that level of customer service mm -hmm. from a website. Yeah, especially what you know, you mentioned Drew or earlier. Andrew, we love you. Um Drew is an encyclopedia of board games. You can walk in and you can grab any game off the shelf and he can tell you what it's like to play that game. And he could even set you up with it and help you get a, a, a rapid start, which yeah. is something that you don't get in an online situation. Um, now, let me let me ask you this. Real quickly, if, before you do yeah. that, you should ask Drew if you can go see his garage. Oh, my gosh. I can only imagine. It, that it, guy. It is a walk-in game store. Yeah, it is. His ceiling. I, he, I haven't seen it, but I, I've heard of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. What's your question? So let's pretend for a moment that Hasbro and Avalon find this new model favorable. They release the Betrayal expansion. Betrayal is a known IP. It, and the expansion sells like wildfire because they don't have to ship to stores and then have the stores sell. Mm -hmm. You know, they can make a, a tidier profit margin. They can even sell it for less than they normally would and make a yeah. tidier profit margin, right? But they so won't. let's let, let's pretend for a moment. What's that? But they won't. They won't but, sell it for less. <laughs> but they won't. They'll get a heftier profit margin. So let's pretend for a moment that they find this favorable. If they find this favorable, what do you think that's going to do, not only to that company or that trifecta going forward, but also the industry as a whole going forward? What do you, what pre, what do you imagine the future looking like if this is successful? Well, I mean, I, I mean. <laughs> And this is kind of what I'm going to school for, but um, that's that's the big worry, really for me, is the big worry is they could do this, they could make this lean and mean, sell direct to the consumers because we're seeing it with Kickstarters. I mean, we saw it with Brandon. Let's be fair, we and we celebrate it with Brandon. Brandon. You know, Brandon Sanderson has been a traditionally published author going through a publisher, and. This is a way to bypass that, go direct to the consumer. And he did amazing. It's very possible. We do see several companies out there that do go direct to the consumer. They don't go through brick and mortar. Yes, they're smaller. They are smaller companies and they're doing that to save money and try to be more cost effective. Can this work? Yes. I mean, with the, with the way society is now, it's easier to jump on Amazon and order something and wait for it to show up at your door than to actually run to Target or to Walmart or to the mall. I mean, I'm amazed malls still exist. Uh, <laughs> but this model can succeed. I really believe it can succeed. And if it does for Hasbro, I mean, we've seen the Hasbro Pulse that has worked for them. And if this works, I can easily see them making changes to Wizards. I mean, that's my original statement. I can see 
that this will affect Wizards, D&D and Magic will leave the game store. Now, I know people are like, well, you know, game stores are where the Magic tournaments are. You don't need a game store to have a Magic tournament. I mean, really, you get some officials, they meet it, they meet at a library or uh, some event center. That could easily be done there, and that could be done by them hiring specific people that run those, and they go to s- local areas or cities or whatever, or someone applies to be that, and then it's their job to set those events up, and they get paid directly. Um, I don't know if game if game stores get paid for that. I could, you know, because they're saving money, they could pay those people a flat fee for running one of those. I don't know. Those are just options that are coming to my head. That's really, and they can continue to do those um, tournaments and still get that. You really don't need that game store to get those magic cards in their hand. I mean, you can buy them on Amazon right now too. There's so many different avenues. And, And this is a worry because if wizards can pull this off, and Avalon Hill can pull this off. How many other bigger game companies are going to start following suit? And then the game stores disappear, much like the Blockbuster videos did. So you, know, you make some good points. And I think the probability is high um, for all the reasons that you and Krebs stated that this is going to be profitable. And at the end of the day, companies exist to make money if they do not make money they have no reason to put a product out and the fan love doesn't pay the bills it doesn't keep the lights on Um, so i have no problem with that aspect of capitalism Um, the what we have to consider is the uh, impact on profit of customer experience Uh so if the customers are still going to be there for the online only experience, uh, then chances are high that this is gonna, they're gonna go this way because it does increase profit margin and decrease costs. You get rid of the middleman, you get to go straight to the consumer. Um, if the consumers say, I'd rather not, I, I'm gonna go favor similar games from different publishers that I can touch you know, at, the, at, the, uh, at this game store, games that I can actually pick up, if they see a decrease, then they'll probably back away from it. But I think you're absolutely right. Hasbro is a huge giant. And what they do is going to influence the marketplace. They are going to, they're big enough that they can blaze the trail and people are going to follow. And will probably, if in the extreme case, there'll be a few um, niche games producers that are the oddballs or the strange ones out there. It's like the people that are still producing vinyl records, uh, those companies, there's there's a market for those, but it's a lot smaller than the ones for now streaming or digital music. It's even, it's even getting difficult to find CDs uh, anymore. Well, and not only that, uh, I'm just sitting here thinking, um, th- there's another potential problem that they're gonna run into. Um, you know, right now, we're seeing a lot of people that will go out and buy up, you know, electronic because we're a lot of stuff is electronic. I mean, the PS5, you know, that launch and a lot of people bought those and they turned around and sold them on Amazon. What is to stop that from happening to the new magic sets? You know, they decide, hey, we're going all completely to the consumer. And now, you know, yes, they're seeing the revenue come in, but the people aren't getting them. It's not getting to the consumer because now these people are out there buying up whole lots of them and then reselling them for our, you know, tremendously large amounts. And I, I just, I direct to consumer. I see a problem with um, now, if they were to do, Hey, we're going to do some direct to consumer and some to game stores. I'd be totally for that. But I think, we go direct to consumer, we run into problems. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone just like buys out a huge lot of the new betrayal one because they know they can make a killing because people are going to want it. You know, that's that's an incredibly fascinating point that I hadn't really considered, especially in light of like the PS5 Xbox X shortage. Um, you know, the the idea here is uh, imagine that scenario for a second. Watsy takes magic, makes it direct to consumer only. 
And then these web-savvy people build bots that when the box drops, they can buy up all of that stock rather rapidly so that just a few people with uh, coding abilities can pick up these packs. And now they can sell them for double, triple, quadruple, yeah. 10 times what they would have. Right. And so what's interesting is that Watsy still profits the way they would have anyway. They just made a sale. They've got their money. They're done. But the populace now suffers at the hands of the scalpers. Yep. And the question becomes at that point, is it better for the company to be more customer focused, to be more altruistic and through brick and mortar kind of control the possibilities of scalping or do they simply say, Hey, you know, in a capitalist system, our profit is the profit that matters. And what you guys do with it after we sell it to you is your business. You guys figure it out. You know, that can be, that can be risky to your point. I think that if they went direct to consumer for a portion of the stock and they went to brick and mortar for the remainder of that portion, which by the way, they've been doing, uh, my, my buddy will buy draft boxes directly and have them shipped to my house, but you can also go and do drafts at stores. Right. So like that still is happening right now. That seems reasonable to me because the market will control uh, the customer experience in a positive way. But if the scalpers get in there and that's the only way that you can get it, if they cut off that supply chain, now they are the ones who get to price these things. They get to control uh, what people have to pay. And what's going to happen is, at least initially, Wizards of the Coast is going to profit because people are still going to try and get the cards. But if the scalpers reign and there's no way to stop them, I think what we'll discover is the downfall of this market because the populace will simply get tired of getting, you know, completely boned out of what they have been able to enjoy for 30 years. So I, I think, I think that there is great prop possibility and probability that if they go direct to consumer and that's all they do, the consumer market will eat itself and they will actually cause to some degree, the downfall of the greatest CCG of all time. So then let's talk about things like, I mean, I mean, that's Magic the Gathering. And, and, and by the way, Daniel, I still, I definitely hear what you're saying and I can see an outcome that matches what you're describing. Mm -hmm. I still strongly believe that the, the revenue, the success, the, de the dissemination of the cards, I think everything works in Watsi's favor to remain uh, brick and mortar distributors. I think, I think it helps them in the end, mm -hmm. but that said, let's move on to a different IP. Let's move on to dungeons and dragons. The books, you can go to target and you can go to Walmart and you can buy, you can buy starter kits. In some yeah. cases you can actually buy the GM's manual or the, I'm sorry, the DM's manual and the monster manual and the player handbook dice and everything. Now. Yeah. You can buy them like at these other stores, not just game stores. Yeah. Um, do you think that if this experiment is successful, do you foresee dungeons and dragons being direct to consumer going forward? I could see it. I mean, so because of culture now, Dungeons and Dragons is now mainstream. There is no way the in you know when we were kids you would have seen Dungeons and Dragons at Kmart or Shopco or any of the other you know uh, shopping. Stores. Well, Satanic Panic made it impossible in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Well, yeah, it wasn't until the nineties that it became like acceptable in public. Well, but yeah, I did see oh, them every Saturday morning for a while there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was a horrible dungeon master throwing first level characters at Tiamat. And I loved <laughs> every episode. Uh, so it's now, it, it, it's more acceptable. So yeah, you can see it at Target. You can see it at Walmart. Um, it's on Amazon. And that's because it's acceptable. Now, because of that, you know, you know at, at the same time, Wizards is still its own entity underneath right. Hasbro. So we're okay there. Now, 
was it moved from Wizards over to Hasbro because, you know, Wizards is really focusing in on D&D and Magic more than likely. And so they're like, we'll take this over. We'll deal with this. You guys don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, but the worry that comes from if Avalon Hill goes really well, it can affect those things. Honestly, D&D can survive without going to a game store because we know it does. It's being bought at Walmart. It's being bought at Target. That's proving that it can that we don't need that game store anymore. Uh, it's being bought on Amazon. Again, proving we don't need the game store. And I think that, you know, as great as Amazon is, it's also proving we don't need, you know, those game stores, those places where we go. That's why our... You know, like Blockbuster and those video rental places went because we didn't need to go to them anymore. We could get uh, Netflix delivered to us way back when and get our own videos delivered to our home and then we watch them and send them back and get new ones. Now we don't even need to do that. We're so lazy we can just turn the TV on, go to the app and pull up whatever movie we want or go to HBO Max or Disney Plus or whatever. And with D&D Beyond, you have all of the D&D library yeah. streaming to yeah. your laptop. D&B, yeah, you're right. D&D Beyond. We don't need, we don't even need the books now. You can open up your, your phone and get them. You can go to your mobile device and get it. Again, one more avenue that we don't need that game store. I mean, we've, people have already not been playing in game stores for D&D. We're, we're playing at homes or libraries or other places. So I could see easily if this goes well, that we don't need the game store anymore. I agree with some of that and I disagree with some of that. And that's uh, okay. <laughs> I, 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 yes, people can buy these things online and they have been able to for a while, but that doesn't mean that everyone is going that way. And that's part of the diversity of the marketplace. Yeah. Uh, people, there are different categories of consumers and they have different behaviors. This is all part of the, the market research. There are going to be some that are content especially if they're really familiar with the product, you know, I know I need to have the DM manual, whatever edition, um, I'm just going to go get it because there's only one. But if you're looking at, okay, what next expansion do I want to get? Uh, or what canned adventure do I want to have? Um, you know, it might help to be able to, to hold those. Now, you've got some of these D&D starter kits you mentioned, and it's like the whole game in a box. It's a very simplified, dumbed down version of this, but it has everything you need in the box. That would be something that a that is appealing to a consumer that doesn't necessarily know what they want. They don't know all the pieces they need to get a successful D&D campaign off the ground. Uh, and so this box is the kind of thing that would appeal to them. So I think there are some that are gonna do things online and they would do it online regardless. So having an online option is a good idea, but going only online, now you're trying to convert the people that wanna buy tangible objects into the same consumers that are buying only online. And conversion is a painful process and always causes some pushback. There's some resistance uh, in people when they're forced to do something that they didn't want to do. Yeah. No, and I agree because, I mean, that's what, you know, there is the potential of, hey, ebooks are going to now take over and we're never going to have a book again. And which is true, but we're losing bookstores. I mean, because sales are going digital, direct to consumer. Um, so that, again, it's just, and this could just be total just assumption based on because we've seen other markets change and then we lose those things. You know, I think, you know, just last week we talked about how Amazon that did open up actual physical bookstores has closed those down. So really the only bookstores that are out there right now is Barnes and Noble that I'm aware of. There might be some other ones. There's some smaller mom and pop ones, but I don't think there's any big chain bookstores anymore except for them. And even those, when you go in there, there's not a lot of books. There's a lot more, muffins and you know legos and toys and stuff that weren't there before so and that's a good point too because um can you guys name a big chain game store like board game store no no um i can name game stop game, game haven game haven's not a big chain yeah they're only local and they only have uh -huh. like five stores 
I mean, that's that probably would be considered a big one. Yeah, they have a network of stores, but they're yeah. not. They're but, not a national but it's not chain. Toys R Us. It's not Toys it, R Us, right? Which, and Toys R Us is no longer Toys R Us. I think Toys right. R Us is actually coming back uh, online. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> direct, <laughs> direct consumer, right? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we could talk about GameStop. This, this is something that this for me kind of qualifies as skullduggery, in my opinion. Hasbro did the Hero Quest Pulse thing. I definitely bought into it because I thought it was a great way to make sure that this thing got made. I didn't realize when I did that initially that they weren't going to go to brick and mortar. And then on top of that, after they made it very clear that they weren't going to sell to stores, they struck a backroom deal with GameStop and GameStop carries HeroQuest now because it's considered a collectible and GameStop does collectibles. (laughs) <laughs> so you have certain certain Hasbro Pulse items that show up at GameStop because of this deal. So oh, that's why they have some. They have like Transformer statues and some Transformer action figures there. Yep. So they won't they won't sell to mom and pop toy stores. They won't sell to mom and pop game stores. But they'll go for a national chain like GameStop. And I I mean. I, I am also someone who supports the concepts of capitalism. I I get how the market like determines how these things come out. And the fact that they're being profitable, that's what a company should do. A company should be profitable. But there's definitely still sort of like questions of ethical management there where they've they've decided that they weren't going to allow um, the, the average purveyor to profit from their products but they will absolutely sell certain products through GameStop after denying it to others. It just, it feels wrong. And it's hard to express, like, they're well within the law. They're well within their rights. I totally understand that. Feels wrong, though. And it feels, and what's going to happen is exactly what you said, the blockbuster effect. Uh, There is no big chain game store. There isn't. And so the fact that Barnes and Noble has been hanging on as long as they have, and let's be honest, like every time I see one, I'm still a little surprised that they're still out there. Uh, that is exactly what's going to happen to game stores as this pattern takes greater hold. And the biggest problem that I see with all this is I can hardly argue with it because from a business perspective, it makes a ton of sense to reduce the cost, especially in the ripple of COVID and the shortage of everything, everything from plastics to paper products to to everything out there is shortaged right now because of the COVID effect. Yeah. Well, I mean, more than just the COVID effect, I mean, the the cost in fuel right now, mm -hmm. if you could reduce having to send out trucks to deliver or ships or ships, you know, and you just ship it in bulk to to people, it's probably a, vastly cheaper there's still some of that that goes on of course but but you're reducing the number of stops right you're reducing the number of legs on a trip to get to the consumer and in the era of amazon and ebay and immediate gratification you were talking we were talking earlier about um you know there's nothing that can replace the physical and tactile experience of touching a game guys we are talking from our ancient bias we are (laughs) we are children of the 70s and 80s and 90s right but the children and and by the way we are now grown children with adult money (laughs) but in 10 years 20 years the children that we know will be grown children with adult money you, you make a really good point. And that was something that I, I, I neglected to mention earlier. There are a lot of people who are focusing on online, a lot of them being the younger generations, and they have adapted to yes. what we're calling the lack, what, yeah. what online stores lack, the advantage that they don't have over brick and mortar. And they accept it. It is not as big a deal for them. And especially a lot of online people are making it a lot easier. Amazon fantastic way of compensating for this with their prime wardrobe and with their easy returns. I mean, now you can eat after you've unboxed it and everything, you don't even have to put it back in the box. You can just drop it off at FedEx or UPS. They'll package it for you. Yep. And or ship Amazon it back to lockers Amazon. or Amazon drones. Yeah. So they've, they're really bending over backwards to make up for what you lose. 
and and the current generation i am surprised by this but having children of my own i've seen this and it goes through all the age brackets the current generation of youth they all live through vicarious experience they're all about like like you were talking about youtube unboxing videos the reason those are so popular is because now we have a generation of people who enjoy and indulge in vicarious experience they don't have to wait they don't have to earn it they don't have to go out and get it for themselves they can just watch a video and they get this sort of uh by osmosis they get this vicarious experience where they get to see what they want to see and now the and, and now the surprise is done and they don't have to worry about it right that generation is the one that's going to to determine if we have game stores 20 years from now. And I got to be honest with you, I am not optimistic about that. Well, I mean, okay. So let's put it that this way, because I mean, you're right. So we're talking from our own bias because when we were kids, if we wanted something, we had to earn the money or earn whatever rights our parents gave us and then go to a store. And then we went down the aisles looking at everything to see what we wanted. And we looked at the packages. Yep. We had it in yep. hand and we went through that process. And it's the same thing we go through when we go to the game store. We walk down the aisles. We look at the box art. We read, you know, the blurbs on there. We ask people, um, you know, even then we, we talk to our friends like, who's the best transformer? Who's the greatest He-Man or G.I. Joe? You know, I got this one. I got this one. Who should I get next? Kids now don't have that. I mean, they literally don't. Um, they want to watch a movie. They don't run down to the video store and have to peruse through all the videos. They just click a button and look through Netflix and scroll. And they could sit there for 30, 40 minutes before they finally find something. But that's how easy it is. Um, not my kids, but I do know some other people where <laughs> their kids have their own. They just jump on Amazon, order what they want and it automatic and it comes back and the parents are like, whatever, they just keep it track of, you know, look at the mm -hmm. credit card and make sure that it's virtual not... allowance. Yeah. And it's just like, I, they don't understand what they're losing and it's normal for them. And so you're right. 10, 20 years from now, their norm is going to be the reality because we're going to be the old, you know, those people shaking our sticks and saying back in my day uh we walked through a video store to get a movie now you <laughs> hey you kids get off my wi-fi yeah um, wife i get off my dial up yeah but as we and it could go two ways this could completely backfire and then they realize, wow, we really missed an opportunity. And then they invest more back into the game stores, which is what we, I, I hope they do. But at the same time, I don't see it happening because as we have progressively advanced in technology, more and more things have gone to online shopping, online selling. The pandemic pushed that even harder because people weren't going to game stores. People weren't going to stores. Uh, the online shopping capability uh, ramped up. And I think this is one of those after effects because of that, you know, yes. You know, we're going direct to the consumer because, you know, for a year, year and a half, almost two years, it's been easier to get this stuff into the consumer's hand than sending it to the game store that no one's going to. So I understand the reasoning, but we'll have to see how this unfolds really. Um, listeners, tell us your opinions. Tell us if you agree with us, if you think we're just idiots or crazy, or if, you know, like us, you remember those days wandering down, you know, the, the aisles of the, the video stores or the, uh, the other stores. So with that said, it's now time for the gamer forge. We're, Let's we're, forge some games. We're going to at, we got some questions. We're going to game the forge. Wait, we're going right. to answer them. So. Um, let me pull these up real quickly. But please, please give us your opinions. We want to hear your opinions. Absolutely. All right. So, so, all right. Here it is. The first question of the night. And it is what is the best method? slash trick 
to incorporate and work with the lore that the players add to the world. That's actually pretty. Say, Say it again, just to make sure we don't miss the details. What is the best method slash trick to incorporate and work with lore that the players add to the world? Okay. Um, good question. That is a good question. I, I mean, think, uh, Daniel, did you want to take this one first? Uh, yeah, I can jump in first. Um, and I think we've talked about this. You know, we this, have. D&D or any role-playing game is a cooperative game. The, the DM is, he's delivering the story. The players are then reacting and they're literally building the story in my opinion. So if they are creating lore, you want to incorporate that into, into it. Now you can do that in small or big ways. Um, you know, if someone has a backstory of, you know, when they were a child, they had this dog that they loved and this dog, you know, and they were an orphan and this dog was all they had. And this dog was his, you know, guardian, protector, best friend, um, companion. And you, but eventually this dog, you know, has to defend this child. You know, let's say he grows up to be about 14. Dog's still around. He, you know, he steals some bread because he's got to eat. And, you know, the soldiers corner him. That dog bears its teeth and fights off the soldiers while he runs and hides. And the soldiers kill the dog. That's a fantastic backstory. And in, what I would do is... You know, there's moments when they're in a city, you know, have a dog walk up and brush against that player's leg. You know, that's, you know, it's a type of that lore coming in. And then how does that, you know, how does that player respond? And I hope he responds by, you know, ruffling the dog's neck and and, and continuing on or stopping to pet the dog and and talk to him. Um, Or maybe he sees another scene very similar to his own where there's a boy that you know and the soldiers are surrounding him and there's a dog with his teeth bared and barking at him and then he just has to pull out his battle axe and charge um those are small ways that you can incorporate that lore in uh another way i did it um i I was running with a group of players and one of the players woke up in the middle of the night and there was a thief that was planning to pickpocket all of them I had no plans for this thief to be anything more than a pickpocket, but this player just tells them their entire quest, what they're doing. <laughs> it just word vomits everything. And so I made the, so because of that, I made this character, this thief supposed to be no one become this nuisance that continued to harass them throughout <laughs> um, time. Uh, but at the same time, there's also other ways to do it. Yeah. You know, those are some really good tips and I'm going to change the question slightly because I don't believe that there is a best way uh, that applies to every situation. You need to know your gamer group. You need to know what's best for your group. Mm -hmm. Some groups are about the hack and slash. They want to roll dice. They want to do damage. They want to collect treasure and XP. Some, and these are the ones I prefer are into role playing when they do a role-playing game. And the role-playing does involve rolling dice, uh, but it's not always about combat. Sometimes it's about the skill rolls, you know, or the save rolls. Um, and, but more than that, and and Krebs does, is great at this when he's uh, GMing a game, is did you act in character? Did you make choices, which may not have been the most strategic choice in game terms, but it was spot on in character terms. And in those games, the asker of this question, I think can really make some hay because you've got in, in whether you're hack and slash or whether you're a role player, in both cases as a GM, you need to think of this in terms of what an author does with their story. What is the recurring theme? Let me create some hooks. Let me do a setup here that pays off later. So what you were saying, uh, Daniel, about this nuisance thief that keeps coming back, something like that, it needs to be recurring. 
So when someone adds lore or has this fantastic backstory, uh, mess with their head. You know, put them in that situation again. Give them a chance to redeem something that went wrong or to be traumatized all over again when their nightmare happens a second time. But give the character, your players, the opportunity to play their character. That's, in, in my opinion, maybe not the best one for everybody, but I think that's a really good way of dealing with that. So I had another idea real quickly jumping in. Um, and... and- even though this isn't a D&D game, this is a great model. And it can still work for your D&D game. Mistborn. So we had a group of characters that you know, went on a, you know, a heist. Really, the first book is a heist book. Yeah, absolutely. And then we had a couple other things that happened in the second and third book. Then we jump to the Wax and Wayne era. All those original characters are, you know, a couple of them are seen as gods now. Um, you know, they're worshipped. You could do that in your own D&D game where, you know, your players did this big, amazing quest or campaign or whatever. They did their things. Now you come back and play another game, but it's 50, 100, 200 years later. Now, what did they do that has affected the world now? Are they seen as villains? You know, like Marsh is, you know, uh, is now kind of seen as like the devil. Uh, old iron eyes yeah iron eyes um you know and kelsier is the survi- survivor and you know, part of the, you know the church of the survivor and then vin um you know the lord misborn um how do how did those characters get seen later on in history and you can you can do that sit down with your your players and say okay your players did this how do the people now see them and you can come, you know, you can kind of work that out together. Or hey, your your character is kind of this this jerk that you know he was always running around and um, you know sleeping with every uh, sleeping around in every brothel or whatever. So how is he seen now? You know, it's been two hundred years, and you could uh, well, you know, uh, there's an entire city that uh, is all of his descendants. They've just kind of congregated because he's Jane's town. Yeah. He kind of slept with everyone in that town. And so technically everyone could, everyone they were to take a DNA test could be related to that one guy. Um, But they see him as, you know, or even that that's a great episode actually. Now that you talk about it from Firefly, you know, he thought he screwed up a job and lost all this money, but everyone thinks He's the hero of Canton. Um, well, that's another great way to kind of put Lauren. Even mistakes could have some positive effect yeah. on a community. And now that person is seen as a hero. And just for my two bits to add on to this pile, uh, we've talked about this on the show before. The, the best, the best RPG experiences are when the DM realizes or the GM realizes that it might be the GM's adventure idea, but it is always the player's story. Yes. You the the adventure is a set of beats that gets them from point A to point Z at some point, and uh, and always there is a MacGuffin or a motivation or a drive. But the MacGuffin or the drive does not have to come from the adventure module. In multiple cases, I have used the character's backstory to derive a MacGuffin. and pull that into the adventure and that becomes the driving force the entire first chapter of the greatest dead rain campaign i ever ran was for one character to find his daughter who he lost contact with during the sort of initial fallout of the of the um zombie apocalypse he knew he found clues that indicated that she was safe but he couldn't find her and so the entire group was helping him find her and then when they did that closed that chapter but it did not close the adventure the adventure now had new direction because they now have this little child in tow the story is actually told by the players you are just the facilitator you know uh, as a writer um that's something i always say and i know even Aris. Uh, Bob Salvatore that we've had on the show, Ari Salvatore, says kind of the same thing. Even though he's writing the story, he's writing the story that the characters are telling him to yes. write. 
Um, yeah. And I, I definitely feel that way. I mean, earlier today, um, before we jumped on as I was driving, um, I realized like my characters were speaking to me. It's like, nope, this is, this is what I need to do. This is what, how I need to show up in, in this next, not this next book. Um, and it's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm hearing crazy voices in my head. It's just like, sure, Daniel, sure. Okay. <laughs> what I'm supposed to do. Cause it's just this like really strong impression or idea of that's what I need to do with this character. And now I'm going to do it. And it was not what I was thinking of. Um, but now that I, I, I've heard it, like that's so much better. Um, right. And that's really the truth. Even though you as the GM have written this story, more often than not, if you have the right gaming group, the story they come up with is so much better than what you could have created. Absolutely. Every time. So hopefully that answers that question. Uh, if you guys do have additional Gamer Forge questions, you have a question that you would like us to answer, give us, uh, shoot us an email at info at dungeoncrawlersradio.com so that we can go over that. Cause we'd love to have yours right now. We're just kind of searching Reddit and other places to, to find questions until we start getting yours. So uh, with that said, folks, uh, give us your input, give us your thoughts on our topic this evening uh, regarding the changes with Avalon Hill and going direct to consumers. Uh, will that do you think that will dramatically affect the gaming community or is it just a bump in the road and let us know what you think about GamerForge and our new uh our format and with that said we're out of here and crawlers tell your story whatever may come and whether you are able to support your local brick-and-mortar game store, or if you are a vehement shopper online, either way, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you, always.